Welcome to the Foresight Church Podcast. Enjoy this week's sermon. For more information about us, go to foresightchurch.co.za. So um, I almost feel like I need to reintroduce myself. My name is Chris. And I, like you, am an alcoholic. It's amazing to just enjoy the wine of the Spirit, hey? Just the freedom of God. I love it, eh? It's good to see you all this morning. Um, it's good to experience the goodness of God. If you're a visitor here this morning, so welcome. Lovely having you with us. Please relax and just enjoy the goodness of our Lord, eh? He loves you more than you could ever know. And if there's anything you encounter this morning, I pray that it would be the love of Jesus. Let you look past all these weirdos here and look past presentation and look past preaching and just look and see the smile of Jesus on your life. That's all you need. That's all you need. It's just an encounter with God. So I brought some groceries this morning. I brought some of my favorite stuff. Mm. Okay, so... Some of these, pepper's the best. I am the original cookie monster. I just wanted to tell you, I, I, that's, I, it's like some of the weaknesses in my life mostly surround cookies. I do have other problems, but mainly biscuits. Okay, so here, who knows the difference between what I'm packing out here and what I'm packing out here? I asked Suzanne to put some ingredients in. I, I think mission accomplished, babes. There's quite a, quite a couple of things in here. Yeah, I wanted to cook, so there we go. Anybody feeling inspired? All right, what's the difference between this and this? Hmm. Salt's crack's not really sweet. Salt's crack's in the wrong place? No, no, salt's crack's are always. Okay, this is, this is my comfort food. All right, this is my comfort food. Do you have comfort food? Yeah, right? I, 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 like, I like comfort food. There should be more on that table. But anyway, <clears throat> and, and these take a little bit longer to prepare and are generally a little bit more healthy and, and the satisfaction of this versus the satisfaction of this can't be compared. This is a quick fix, and this is a long-term fix. And, and this kind of produces arthritis and all sorts of uh, sugar problems in your body, correct, and allergies and all the rest. Uh, don't ask me. Ask somebody who knows, but apparently right. And, and, and this kind of stuff is just, just generally healthier on your body. This is quick, and this takes a lot longer to prepare. There are realities concerning our relationship with God and our walk with God. And I'm going to open up First Peter this morning, and I'm going to show you some stuff that you seriously did not know. And I'll tell you, you didn't know it because I didn't know it. And I've read the book of First Peter a couple of, I was going to say a couple of hundred times, but I know it's probably less than a hundred times. 
but I, I have read that book. I know that book. I love that book. It's an incredible book. So go to the book of Revelation right at the back of the Bible. A few pages earlier before Revelation, you're going to find First Peter. Recently, I ministered out of Second Peter, but Second Peter follows on to First Peter, and the foundation is laid in First Peter. And I'm going to just quickly run through some things that you need to know about First Peter because the book of First Peter, even though it's only five chapters long, is an incredible tapestry. It is layered. It is multi multi-layered. There are facets in it that are interwoven with one another. Karabo, can I lend you here for a second? Could you, would, you, would you come forward? Just stand right over here in the light, because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus. Anyway, sorry. You can smile in the dark as well. Okay, that's fine. But you see, why I wanted to show you this is because you see this hair. This is a braid. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It is woven. It, it, is, it is intricately woven to produce something beautiful. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's not there if it's not woven. It just means that when it is woven, it looks different to what it is. But you can sit and pull out every thread. I want to show you something about the threads. You know, I was reading First Peter, and every time I read it, I'm amazed. But I got absolutely overwhelmed when I was reading First Peter this week. I read it over and over and over again, and I was just mesmerized. You know, when people say that the Bible is not divinely inspired, you're just not reading it deep enough. You seriously are just not reading it. The Holy Spirit lifts some stuff out. So the book of Peter goes about a few things, right? Now, most people know the book of Peter is the general overarching theme, if you read it and gloss over it, is how to persevere under trial. Would anybody disagree? No, that's what the book's about. Bad stuff happens to good people, and this is how you handle it, right? That's the book of Peter. And it says it's wonderful because God is building faith in you. And we go out of First Peter saying, woohoo, I'm victorious. I know how to live my life. There's tools in there about how to, how to be happily married. There's tools in there about how to submit to authorities and how to work with authorities. And one of those overarching themes is beautiful. It says, this is how you do it. Love the brotherhood of the believers. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. How's that for a recipe for a happy life? Pretty simple. Some of the things that Peter then brings in to clarify what he's saying is he talks about a past, he talks about a present, and he talks about a future. He talks about a past and he says, you were once in darkness, but God has called you into his marvelous light. He says, you once lived in ignorance you once lived as pagans did, but now you no longer live like that. He says, you once basically were lost and clueless, and now you've got a clue. And he says, your previous way of living and your present way of living are totally different. 
Now that's how you know a Christian. You know them by their fruit. You know a Christian not because he says he's a Christian, but because you can see something of the fruits of God in their life. They no longer live in drunkenness. They no longer live in pagan debauchery. They no longer live in darkness. They called out. And then Peter says there's a reason for all of this that you are in a present state and not in your past state. You're in a present state because God has got a plan for your life and a plan for the universe through you. And so he, he brings the past and he brings the present and he brings the future in. And all along, he has two juxtaposed positions, which is the world and how you used to live, and how you now live, which is leading to something in the future. Because even in our present, he brings another thing in, saying you aren't anymore that, you are now this, this is your identity, this is your reality in Christ, and now there is a process. And it can be confusing, because in 1 Peter 1, Peter introduces this theme, and he says, you have been saved, you are being saved, and when Christ appears, you will be saved. He's saying salvation has a process. I am saved, my spirit is born again, I'm saved from hell, I'm saved from death, I'm saved from the world, I'm saved from Satan. I am now shielded in Christ, I am now being transformed and eventually my entire will, mind, emotions, my soul will be saved when Jesus Christ appears. And the implications of that is we will have a new body as well. It is, there's a current reality, bang, I'm released, but I'm getting better at being good. So anybody here knows what that's about? How many of you beat yourselves up because you're not perfect? Or is it just me? Right, guess what? It's a process. And Peter starts this, this book. He says this, and I, I don't want to get off my notes because I'm telling you this is beautiful stuff. But he says this. He says, you've, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to become obedient to Christ. It's amazing. And he's saying, don't worry. You've been called out of darkness by God. You've been chosen by God's foreknowledge. In other words, he knows the end from the beginning. He's called you through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to process, to become obedient to Christ. Don't worry. And he starts his book like that. I, I love Peter. I, I, I want to know what happened between him denying Jesus, chopping off a, a, a dude's ear, uh, walking on water, doing some dumb stuff that Peter did, to where he gets this absolutely profound. What happened? What, what happened in this guy's life? And I think if you understand Peter, I think he understands the process because he realizes that even though in his ambition for Jesus, he got it wrong many times. The one thing you can't fault him on is passion. Now, Peter's one of these guys, a ready, fire, aim guy. Is anybody like that? I'm more of a ready, fire, aim guy. And I, I, in fact, I've got some of those quotes that I've built into my life, which help me just justify my ignorance. And one of those is this. I, I say to people, I'd rather lead 
passionate person because you could do something with him. Even if he's passionate for the wrong stuff, I'd rather work with a passionate person than a person who's, who's just got no zing. You know, you, you can't kickstart a dead donkey. It's just not gonna happen, right? They do what you want. It's not gonna... I always say to the leaders in the church as well, focus on who you're going to invest in because you, can't, you can only steer a moving vehicle. You can't steer a parked car. There's got to be a little bit of life. And I think this is what Jesus saw in Peter and saw, well, this guy is ignorance on fire, but at least he's on fire. Let's do something with him. And so Jesus took him and shaped him and, and made him something wonderful. Um, so let's read. I'm going to start at First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. And there are a couple of things I'm going to bring out that are just phenomenal. Okay. Therefore, number one, all right, verse 1 of chapter 2. Rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Why? Because that was how you used to live. So therefore, we live differently, right? Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You're going to grow up. You're going to grow up in your salvation. How cool is that? All right, you're saved, but you're also growing in it. Okay? Anybody there? I'm growing. Be patient. I'm a work in progress. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, we taste Jesus and then we grow in our salvation. Now, how many of you in your Bible, it says there, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk? Anybody, does it say spiritual milk? All right, raise your hand if it says spiritual milk. All right, anybody got a Bible who says something different? What's the description of the milk there? Pure, what other kind of milk? Milk of the word, what other translations do we have in the house? I was gobsmacked, I read this in the Greek and all of a sudden the light went on because it doesn't say that in the Greek. It's, it, it actually says, a, a word which you know what it is, is logikon, the word that we get logic from. And amazingly, it keeps talking about spiritual in this chapter, but it says logikon and the Rest of the spiritual translation says pneumatikos, which is the word spirit. But logikon means logic. It says grow up in the pure mental knowledge milk. He's saying grow up in the renewing of your mind kind of milk. I understand that when people translate the Bible, they translate it from a perspective. So an Anglican is going to translate it from an Anglican perspective, or Catholic from a Catholic perspective, and from his worldview and his theology. So he's going to read that, and a dualistic person, a person who looks at the flesh and says everything, not the flesh, but everything that is worldly and everything that is tangible, everything that's material is evil, and everything that is good is spiritual. You get people like that. Okay, and that's a weird way of looking at scripture because scripture isn't like that. You see, you see, a lot of people will say anything that you can touch, taste, feel, all your senses, that's evil, and anything that you don't understand, that's good. That's called dualism. And that's where a lot of heresy comes from. But when you read the, the Greek text, the ground text, and I like your translation, Nikki, it says, grow up in the pure milk of the word. That's, that's the right one because 
That word logos, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. What's the word? Logos. Right? That's the right word. It's right translation. But now look at this. It says, grow up in that, like newborn babies. What do we do now in my position in Christ? I was dead. I'm now alive. What is my responsibility? Grow up in your salvation through the mental knowledge of the Word of God. Crave pure mental knowledge of the Word. Why? So that you can grow spiritually. We want to keep things pie in the sky. No, no, no. You know, the thing about Jesus is He came not to show us pie in the sky. He came to show us steak on the plate. There's no such thing as you're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. No such thing. You don't get more heavenly minded than Jesus. You don't get more earthly good than Jesus. A Christian is someone who takes spiritual realities and translates them into physical realities. That's a Christian. And so this piece of advice is take the word of God, concrete stuff, make it concrete in your life, make the outworking concrete in your life, and you're gonna have spiritual results. Incredible, isn't it? That's how we respond. So how does this happen? Now the word says you're called out of darkness. You're chosen by God. So God initiates this. He calls us into what we're going into. You've heard me say this, what you're saved into is far more important than what you're saved from. And that's why we have to be a Jesus-loving, people-loving, discipling church. That when people come and experience and taste and see what God is, they get the right perspective of what God is. And we represent Him well, so people are grounded well in their knowledge of Christ. It's important. It's imperative that we get those things right. Because what we're saved into, you know, you, we can save people into bondage. Do you know that? The Bible says so. Jesus says about the Pharisees, he says, you travel over land and sea to make one disciple, and then you make him twice as much the son of hell that you are. It's like, what? Yeah, good intentions mean nothing. You've got to train people well. It doesn't matter that you know it. It's just, can you impart life? Or just imparting knowledge. That veil thing, right? We're imparting a veil. We're imparting tradition or religion. No, 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 no. We're setting people free into a relationship with God so they can run, they can fly, they can live, they can be free. All right, cool. Right, let's carry on. First Peter chapter two. As you come to him, verse four, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being, are being, are being built into a spiritual house. To be, that's future. You're currently being built. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter three tells us this. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there is a current reality. I am a temple but we together are being built together to become a temple. You're being built into that to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you come to this stone. Close your eyes for a second. Walk with me. You're walking along in the ruins of Jerusalem, right? And all of a sudden, 
you run into this strange but very well stone-cut rock. It's got square corners. Large rock. And it's on its own because it's been rejected by the builders and it's laying on a rubble pile away from the temple. So look at the temple, see the temple on the hill, it's all finished, it's nicely built. But on the rubble pile, there's this rock that is, has been rejected because it's not quite right for what people wanted it for. And open your eyes. The picture is, God is building a different temple to the Jerusalem temple. That's the picture. That's exactly what, the cornerstone, when this was written, the temple was still the AD uh, 70, the Romans destroyed the temple, all right, never to be rebuilt again. So there, there is a picture of a beautiful temple that's built with silver and gold, right? The temple was overlaid inside and paneled with gold. They reckon that if you had to strip the temple of its furnishings today, that old temple, and you had to take all of that gold, there would be more wealth in that gold than the richest person on earth currently owns. Now, I don't know how true that is because it looks like people are manufacturing money like smarties. But anyway, but that's a lot of wealth. And people look at that and they were overwhelmed and wonderfully impressed. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem. Incredible. Wow, people built this. And then God's saying, but hold on. Next to it, I'm building something. And the people who built the temple didn't want that stone. But that's the stone I'm building my temple on. So the picture is, we come to the stone and say, what is the stone? Why is the stone here? What is the purpose of the stone? And God says, that's the stone that was rejected because it wasn't good enough for people. Didn't meet their expectations. Didn't meet their perfect requirements. Jesus looks different, I promise you, to how storybooks paint him. Bible says he was without any form of beauty so that men should esteem him, right? In other words, he wasn't a good-looking poster boy. He's just a normal bloke. Nothing that men should esteem him in his appearance. Like he was, and he was rejected by people for many other reasons too because he was kind of confrontational and a little bit abrasive. And then I was reading Peter. Let's quickly read on. He says, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone, a scandal on that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. 
a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have. You were not a nation, now you are. You're a holy nation. Once you were individuals, dismembered, you now belong. You see, when you come to the body of Christ, when you come to the church of the living God, when you come to this temple that's being built up of various looking reject stones like Jesus was rejected, a whole bunch of odd looking people who generally shouldn't be together, but are because of the love of Jesus. God is building a fantastic new kingdom and a new temple that does not look like the old temple. It's totally different because the cornerstone that was rejected is now the capstone. He's not only the bottom, the, the, the foundation stone, he's also the finishing stone. And we are held together in between and God is taking odd-sized people and perfectly molding them in to what he's doing in his new temple. And that is you. And that is me. And therefore the church should be diverse. And when you come to church, I pray that nobody would say, this is an oak because he looks like he goes to foresight because they can recognize you by your haircut. Okay, or recognize you by your clothes you wear, you know? And everybody brands now, everybody wears K-way jackets or whatever. I don't know. I mean, you, let's not be silly about it, but, you know, or by our suit and tie. We, we're labeled because we all look the flipping same. No ways, man. God's building something beautiful out of people who generally shouldn't be together. I remember we had a guy in the church many years ago and he came to me and he said to me straight to my face, he said, you and I have got nothing in common. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be friends. Exactly. You nailed it. Jesus is the glue that keeps us together. And even though sometimes it's a little bit abrasive rubbing up next to you because some oaks are prickly, right? If you are here and you don't know any prickly person in the church, it's you. <laughs> Some people are difficult. What does he say? We, we called out a darkness. We called out an unbelonging to belong and God's building his beautiful temple, a place where he wants us to worship him out of misfits. First Corinthians says this, he says, how were you? And I love it, he says, how were you? Before you were called. He says, were any of you intelligent? Were any of you wise? Were any of you beautiful? Were any of you rich and influential? Were any of you powerful? He says, the answer to that is no. I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Everybody should be able to say, actually in myself, not really. But what's he saying? You were that, but now in Christ, you're different. You're different. Now you've got something to say. Now you've got a life that's coming together and your finances start working and your relationships start working and your family is coming together instead of splitting apart and your, your, your marriage looks different and your workplace looks great. And why? Because you're growing in Christ and, and you were a misfit, but now you fit in. And God is starting to do something beautiful in you 
and through you. Now, it's not immediate. This is beautiful because Peter says it takes patience, and he says it takes patience under trial to present the faith in you. Can I get up your nose right now? Because I want to show you the deeper layer. I was gobsmacked when I saw this. Because you see, the analogy that flows underneath Peter's theme of trials and tribulations, the deeper theme is the temple that God is building with the holy people who actually don't belong. In fact, the next verse from where we stopped says, you are aliens and strangers. Do I believe in aliens? Yes, I'm one. We don't belong on this earth. What's he saying? An alien is a misfit. We're out of place. We're from a different galaxy. We're from a different future, never mind our past. We're from a different future. I believe in time travel. I'm an eternal being. I got saved. I've got a future beyond the stars, man. And I'm just visiting here and I don't belong. There are a whole bunch of people. I wanna tell you as a Christian friends, Listen to me, even though you are so united with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you share the love of God, you're going to, from time to time, feel immensely lonely even when you're surrounded by people because you don't belong here. Your heart is yearning to be united with Christ. Your heart is in heaven. Your mind is fixed there and you say, Jesus, can't you just come? Please, Jesus, come. I don't belong in this world. And then I'm gonna go one layer deeper. I read and for the first time I noticed that Peter speaks about gold. It's a five chapter book. But he pops this word gold and treasure and inheritance right through. And he says, you, you we're waiting for an inheritance on that side and not here. Therefore, we're building a different temple to the one here because actually we're stripping that temple of its gold and we're putting it into this temple. The problem is people get caught up in the glitter and the gold of religion and the glitz and the glamour and the showbiz of stuff and they forget that what God is building is eternal. So I want to quickly show you some stuff because this is the fundamental underlying theme. First Peter 1, 7. Why do trials come? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. He's saying 24 karat gold, 24 parts out of 24 parts of gold. Purified by fire, in other words, there's nothing, no, nothing to dilute it. Pure gold, even that's gonna perish. And why is he saying that? He says that your faith of greater worth than pure gold will be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. But what is he saying? He's saying we're living for something other than pure gold on this planet. Why does he talk about gold? Well, because gold is universal currency. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, gold is currency. People are now divesting their interests and they are taking their investments and they are, are putting it into gold. Why? Because gold kind of stays stable in economic trials and if anybody starts 
buying, when people start buying gold, the gold price goes up, and it's kind of a hedge against whatever inflation or nonsense happens in the world around us. So people do that. It's been a, been a, a way to do it. And over the years, the, there was a gold standard where uh, on, a, on a 10 rand note, it would say, at the bottom, very small, it would say, uh, uh, I, as the Reserve Bank president, promise to give the bearer of this uh, note this amount in gold. In other words, that was backed up by gold. That's no longer the case. We're, we're off that. That's why we've got rampant inflation because it's not pegged to any kind of standard. See, gold is amazing. Okay, wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop here. I'm getting ahead of myself. God owns four things in the Bible, four things. Have you ever read that? God says there are four things that are mine. Do you know? He says, silver is mine, says the Lord. Gold is mine, says the Lord. The cattle are mine, says the Lord. And the land is mine, says the Lord. Is that true? Four things God owns. In other words, there's four things you can invest in that are not going to depreciate. It's crazy. That's God's stuff. Right? And that's also, listen, let me tell you, I do believe that everybody should be able to have access to that. Why? Because they belong to God, and if I belong to God, then that stuff's mine too. Okay? So I want you to get that thing clear. You have access. You have access to the portals of heaven. Because Jesus, he died to bring us into contact with reality and to bring us in contact with the future. Now the problem is, when we start building temples with gold, monuments to death with gold, when we start accumulating, why? Because he's saying, hey, hey, your faith should not be in that stuff because God's going even gold, even gold is perishing, but your faith isn't. Your faith's growing. Invest in that. So he, he says that. Why does he say that? Because he's saying that even there's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth, and every single thing on this earth is going to be taken up in fire. The same first Peter tells us that. Actually, second Peter tells us that. Everything's going to be destroyed by fire, even gold. The only thing that outlasts everything on this planet is what you do with that gold. And that's the great test. Why am I saying this? Let's carry on reading. Let's have a look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, and they are imperishable because they are elements on the periodic table, and they inert, and they are noble. They should not be able to be perishable scientifically. But he's saying it is perishable. Gold and silver are perishable. What's he talking about? The temple in Jerusalem is perishable. Religion is perishable. Build your faith in something else. He's saying build your faith on other things even than silver and gold. Why? Because silver and gold represent wealth to us, don't they? I think they're worth much more than wealth. I must be honest. I just, they're, they're incredible. But he says it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the, underline this, the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish and defect. So you were bought at, you were bought at a price by a lamb on the altar at the temple crucified outside of Jerusalem and not on the altar in the temple because it was the 
capstone and the cornerstone that was rejected. He had to be rejected, thrown out on the rubbish dump, crucified on a hill, overlooking the rubbish dump because he was rejected by men. And that's what we bought with. We bought with that and not with the other thing. You see, there's a, all over in the book of Peter, there's a juxtaposition between what God has done for us and gold. Now, I hope the light's going on there. I hope the light's going on because I tell you something, when I saw this, I'm like, Jesus, help me to not base my faith or my reliance on anything other than eternity. Okay, I'll tell you why. We're gonna roll back a minute. I told you to underline the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. If you have a look at, Peter's other theme, which is inheritance, and he always links that with gold. People are building up an inheritance here. I know Stephen Covey, he said, there are four aspirations in life, to live, in other words, survival, to love, to learn, to grow, and to leave a legacy, leave something behind, inheritance. He's saying that's the basic human wants and needs, on, on the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's, he's saying that. God's saying, not really. He's saying, yeah, to live, to love, to learn, but the legacy is not gold. We've been bought, this scripture says, we've been bought from the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. You've been bought out of a human inheritance. You've been rescued, friends, from a human inheritance. <laughs> To get that, <laughs> what are you doing amassing one? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I know. Righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. But Jesus came to buy you out of that slave system. <laughs> You've been redeemed from it. You've been bought out of financial bondage. You've been, <laughs> you've been bought out of financial wealth. You've been bought out. You've been rescued by the blood of Jesus out of that empty way of living. Bought with a price. Slap yourself on the face. <laughs> that's why he says, live as free men. Just live as free men. Don't. Now, why am I saying this? Look, look at First Peter chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Incredible. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. So ladies, your job is not to preach to your husband. Your job is to show your husband how godly woman lives. That's how you preach. That's what scripture says. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, gold jewelry, gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Wow. Okay, where does that come from? Well, that comes out of straight there, First Peter chapter three. But if you reverse to the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, which leads into 1 Peter chapter 3, it 
talks about Jesus laying down his life. It talks about Jesus redeeming us from outward trappings, from superficiality. When we talk about Christ and his bride, which is the church, he's saying the church, Christians, our adornment should not be and our value should not be our wealth, our appearance, our smooth tongues, the way we can convince our husbands, ladies, it's not by manipulation, it's not by clever words that convince, it's by a life that is free from external trappings. It's a picture. It's not just a description of how to live. It's a consistent picture of a, a, a beautiful temple on a hill in Jerusalem versus a temple that God is building out of broken stones. It's a picture of, of, of redemption, being saved from religion and saved into relationship with Jesus. It's being bought out of status and profile and temple titles and rituals and, 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 and being bought into face-to-face -face contact with the Father. It's being bought out of poverty and being bought out of wealth and everything that gold and silver resembles and the security that it brings to be bought out of your security into a lifestyle of faith. I was reading one of my journals this week. And in 2010, I wrote this thing. I said, I wrote, it is much more dangerous to depend on your own means than to live a lifestyle of faith. Now that's counterintuitive, but it is dangerous. Why? Because if you live by your own means, you're responsible for your results. If you live by faith, God is responsible for your results. It's a dangerous place to live in security. It's a dangerous place to live in comfort. We've been bought out of that. Friends, don't get caught up in this world. Man, I wish I had, maybe we'll unpack it some more another day. I wanna end off here. Good grief. We've been bought free from a temple to become a temple. And it's a process of becoming, if you're not perfect, don't crucify yourself. You're fine. I wanna end off with this, and this is my conclusion. Good ingredients are not fast food. Good ingredients take time and they take effort and they take process and they take heat to produce decent food, correct? It's much more rewarding. This is much more expensive and it's much more temporary and it makes you fat and ugly. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to get a clue. Help us, Lord, to crave pure logicon, the word in its logical, mental form that we can understand the spiritual riches 
we've been bought into that we aren't slaves of this world. Well, the rest of that portion that you reveal through First Peter talks about fires and trials that come upon us because we don't want to let go of the systems of this world. We don't want to live by faith. First Peter warns us that trials come to purify our faith, to release us from the gold and the silver and the glitter and the glamour and the inheritance and the empty way of living and all of those things that we have been bought free by Jesus Christ. Jesus, help us not to take your grace in vain Help us not to look at the cornerstone that's rejected by men for us to reject it as well. Help us to see Jesus for who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do for us. Rather than fall in love with a church institution or a facility or titles, or positions, or anything else that brings so much bondage. Lord, as your spirit convicts right now, I pray for a deep work of your spirit. I pray for a lasting work of your spirit. I pray that you will start Helping people to get free from trappings that bring security and bring death. Help us to live by faith and not by what we see on the outside, but live by a gentle and quiet spirit as the bride of Christ, which is a great worth to the Father. Prepare us from the inside out, Lord, and not from the outside in. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Can we just keep our eyes closed for a minute? Is the Lord working in you? You know, he's brought us out of sin, but as Christians, we sometimes live in sin still because we haven't bothered to lay hold of everything that Christ has laid hold of for us. We take the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? We use it as a commodity rather than attach the full purpose. In vain means futility. We don't need to be futile, friends. Let's just right now. Holy Spirit, help us not to trample on the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, set us free. We know we're not perfect. We know we're growing. We understand this is a maturity thing.
But Lord, today I lay down my life. I say, Lord, what is yours is mine. What is yours is mine. The heavens, the fullness thereof is mine. And what is mine is yours. My sin, my doubt, my fears, my anxiety, my stress. It's all yours. You have it. You have it, Jesus. Nailed it to the cross. So that I can walk free. Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, giving your life to Jesus, that's what you've just done. You said, Lord, I accept your sacrifice on the cross. I give you my sin and I take your righteousness. I'm yours now. The Holy Spirit, God, that good deposit. And if you're like me, You've prayed that prayer many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of times in your life. Because salvation is also a process. Yes, I'm saved in my spirit, but I'm saving my soul through Christ. He, by the Spirit, is sanctifying me through and through, day by day. It's a work in progress. Thank you, Jesus. We are free. And we're a work in progress. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, my friends. We're going to have a baptism in a few minutes, so um, the kids are going to...